What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. And as always, each episode is brought to you by All I Need Skate. If you'd like to check out any of our creations, whether it be our skateboard decks, which are manufactured right here in the USA, or our men's and women's apparel line, we also have our nug jars, um, and we have a video series titled That All I Need Life. You can check it all out at allineedskate.com. Also, quick update. New England Am. This is the biggest amateur contest in the country, I, I think. I've been to the biggest one, and I think we, we rival them for sure and growing. Um, it's November 4th and 5th at the Edge Indoor Skate Park, and we're introducing our ladies division, which I'm really excited for. I've been seeing a lot of girls more than ever skating, which is so cool. Um, also, our 14 and under division is super heavy always. A lot of people shredding, everyone having fun. It's uh, quite the event, a lot of energy and people just coming together to put on a show and have fun for the weekend. It's a two-day event, so and we have an after party and live music. It's going to be wild. Um, yeah, so the divisions are the newly ladies jam, 14 and under. We also have our 15 and over, which is gnarly. And then last but not least, we have our skate shop invite division, which is gnarly. Three riders from each shop and they just battle it down till we end up with top shop. Um, you can check out last the year, last three years of the contest on our YouTube channel if you head to youtube.com forward slash all I need skate. Um, also, I got a green screen now, so the video portion of this podcast, if you want to watch a video with it, um, you can always go to the U- YouTube channel and subscribe and you'll get updates when I put them up. And uh, I got a green screen now, so we're going to be putting some stuff in the background. I'm going to be out in space. I'm going to be out there. that's what the kids are saying these days right (laughs) um okay anyways my guest today is tyler colbertson um we tried to make this happen a couple weeks back and uh our schedules just didn't line up and uh but he reached back out and hit me up and i was super hyped um because i just knew he had a cool story and it seemed like he was pretty open too so he did not disappoint we talked about everything from like, let me see, I wrote it all down. His father used to work at Airwalk and he used to get to see the behind the scenes stuff there, which is cool. Um, they owned a skate shop together. Uh, he also made his own job at Tomietto, just kind of hustle mentality, which is sick. And also he is now the social media manager to Tony Robbins, which is trippy. And I got to ask him about Tony a little bit. So yeah, this one was super fun. I hope you enjoy. I was like, yo, this is crazy. Like, I, I, I gotta get on. I gotta get on it. I just love the skating and the scene. Rain, rain, go away. All I need is a skateboard today. Board today. This is the Shetler Show featuring professional skateboarder, podcaster, and All I Need Skate founder, Anthony Shetler. So everyone was, it was hot. Everyone was doing it. Yeah, they're looking for their dad's fucking metal skateboards in the garage. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, Sad. Yeah. Get on this thing. <laughs> Each episode brings you amazing discussions with interesting people from all walks of life. Kind of when skateboarding clicked for me and you learn some tricks or whatever and you get that appreciation from your peers, you know? The other skaters are like, holy shit, like, yeah, dude, that's rad. Admiration. Yeah, yeah the admiration or the, the affirmation. Real. Recognize real. If I didn't experience those crazy moments in my life, then these great moments would never be as great as they have been. Honestly, like for me, I just loved it. Like I saw those dudes, I saw those videos, and I was like, holy fuck, this is sick. Yeah. This is what I want to do. 
How's your day going? Great. How about you? Good so far. Just fucking uh, been working on some skateboard stuff, so not too bad. Nice. All right. I hope that's lined up. Sick. I'm hyped we lined this up and we're able to do it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. Dude, no worries. All right. Let me uh, make sure this is all rolling. It looks pretty good. Nice. Alright, let's start it off with, uh, where are you right now? I'm at work, um, in Sorrento Valley, California, which is in San Diego, and, uh, yeah, just at the office. Where, which office? Are you at Tomieto? Uh, no, I'm at, uh, Robbins Research International, that's, uh, Tony Robbins' company. He started about 40, or almost 40 years ago, actually. Wow, that's a, that's that's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was I was at the Yeto yesterday. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I I wanted to take it from the top. Like, let's start with how you found skateboarding and where were you and when you did. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, I was uh, very lucky, lucky and privileged um, to. I grew up around skateboarding. My dad was actually employee number three of Airwalk back in in like 86 i believe number three so, yeah he was <laughs> he started it i remember going to the offices at airwalk before the brand even launched just being a little kid running around looking at shoe samples and stuff and so from the age of three i've i've just been surrounded by skateboarding um at that time you know that was the, the all the rage was vert skateboarding and uh i grew up in carlsbad california so that was like one of the meccas of skateboarding in terms of the industry. You had a lot of pros living there and a lot of companies were based out of there. And uh, so, yeah, that's where I started. And from there, it just progressed. I literally lived um, across the street from Carlsbad High School. Whoa. So I was super lucky to see tricks go down the Carlsbad Gap growing up. And there's tons of other spots at that school as well. But, uh, yeah, I just was super lucky to grow up in a in an environment where it was skateboarding provided for my family and also was I was kind of smack dab right in the middle of it as well in terms of the industry yeah that's pretty crazy though did you ever get like sample airwalks and like one-offs and shit yeah a bunch <laughs> um I was actually when they launched the kids line I was in some ads um, <laughs> yes. just like I wasn't skating though it was it was looking back on it it's kind of whack because i'm like this little kid like modeling little kid shoes but <laughs> it was super funny out ever since i was little i've just been like you know decked head to toe and gear like just got hooked up and it's like just an incredible privilege you know like it's lucky to be able to have those opportunities and stuff but yeah it was fun i wish i kept some of those samples growing up because they did I mean, they did the craziest colorways that, like, half the time they never even saw production, but they they had this giant wall when you walked into the main office that was, like, hundreds of pairs of shoes that were just, I mean, if you remember the 80s, it was just, like, the louder, the better, you know? And yeah. Like, crazier colorways and whatnot, so just super fun and creative environment to grow up in, for sure. What was your dad doing there? Was he packing boxes, or was he part of the creative stuff? He was uh, he was on the, the business end. He was a merchandising manager, so what he would do is he would take, um, he would kind of organize the entire line between the designers and the sales reps, so 
get feedback from the sales team and then relay that to the designers and then kind of create um, like collections. You know how like companies release like a collection of certain things and stuff like that, like colorways that all tie in with like a shoe and, and t-shirt and hat and little kits and whatnot. So he, he developed that with Airwalk and then also oversaw um, the manufacturing of the product in China. Sick. Damn, that's cool, man. So you had a, at a young age, you had like a little peek into the industry, huh? Yeah, for sure. And he, up until I graduated high school, he was always involved in, in the skate industry uh, full time. He, I don't know, do you remember a brand called Jimmy Z? Yeah, yeah. It was a little so, before my time, but I remember it. Yeah, so he was a part of that as well at the height. And then um, after that, he started a manufacturing business. So he actually um, was making product, him and his company, they were making products for all sorts of skate companies um, from like, I can't even remember now, it's been so long, but Element to Volcom when they started, um, Physics, uh, Giant Distribution, um, stuff like that. So he'd make wallets and hats and backpacks and, and so yeah, always around skating. Did you um, did you ever pursue the sponsorship or how good how good did you get at skateboarding? I was terrible and I'm still <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I I just uh, you know I love being around skateboarding. It's my favorite thing in the world. But I I think a couple things hindered me growing up skating. One is my size, and two, I'm just super scared. <laughs> Self admitted, just scared to flip my board. I've like notoriously kept all four wheels on the ground like the entire time I've been skating. <laughs> so you probably haven't had too many bad injuries, though? Uh, no, surprisingly, I've broken my elbow three times. Skating, oh, so fuck. I definitely would push myself at times, and then, like, as the years go go on, I, I'd scale it back. But, uh, yeah, always ridden a board and kept it mellow for sure, but got into filming and, and stuff like that. So I was behind the lens a bunch and just always tried to be around it. I was, like, one of those guys on the sidelines just watching everyone rip <laughs> yeah which we need those people very much so <laughs> can't yeah. have it can't have it without that you know for sure that's rad so when did you get into actually working for skateboarding what was your first step did you ever work at a skate shop or um so my dad actually uh he moved, so we grew up in carlsbad and then around 2004 him and my mom to Prescott, Arizona, which is a small little mountain town um, in in the middle of AZ. And at the time, I was working for DC um, in the warehouse. So my whole path, I was like, oh, I'll work for DC and like work in the warehouse and then meet people and try to become a filmer or something like that. And while I was doing that, my dad was planning on retiring and then he started substitute teaching for fun at um, high schools just to pass the time. And then kids would find out his background and they're like, holy crap, Like, you need to open a skate shop. We don't have a skate shop here in town. So he started doing the research and saw that the market was big enough to do one. And so my dad called me literally out of the blue one day. He's like, hey, like, this is uh, a little out of the blue, but would you want to run a skate shop with me? And like, you know, for me, I was 23 at the time. and that'd be any skater's dream growing up is to run a skate shop. So that was a dream come true. And I said yes immediately and, and went out there and started the shop with my dad. And we did the store for about 
eight years and then sold it around 2011. But throughout that time, just had just the best times ever of like, you know, it was a small town, but, do, you know, supporting the local skate scene and, and doing events, making videos, having a shop team, that whole thing. It was like times I look back on, they were just the best times ever, you know, like living the shop life at seven days a week. Yeah. 24 hours a day, you know? Yeah, it's de- having that experience is awesome because it definitely makes you value, you know, like all the hard work and it makes you see the community of skateboarding. So if you ever had yeah. to work and sell it for whatever reason, then you'll at least know what it's worth, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it, like, really taught me a lot. I mean, so many lessons about business, but then taught me so much about, you know, giving back to skateboarding in a way of, you know, always i think it's a huge responsibility on skate shop owners to always be giving back to the community or providing opportunities for for skaters to be involved in some way whether it's a local video premiere or putting together a game of skate or some some event on go skate day whatever it might be it's really on the shoulders of the skate shop to initiate that and and really keep that momentum and it's it's super fun to like in a ways it's a lot like skating like there's no guidelines for you to like make your skate team better you just gotta like go out and try stuff and trial and error and figure out what works and develop relationships like within a year i found myself in like city council meetings and stuff with parks and recs departments and the mayor and city planners and like that's the last place you think you'll find yourself but <laughs> then realizing that it's like if you take a strategic approach and and work with people that might not understand skateboarding, but see there's participation in it that if you can be the voice for for skating in your community and express the needs and, and desires of what they're looking for, whether that's a to have a skate park built or, you know, even a build a skate spot or have the city help fund an event or something. It's, it's good to partner with those people instead of, you know, sometimes we've been known to barge and just kind of do it on our own. And that's when, uh, you know, the city doesn't really appreciate stuff like that. Yeah. Each case is case by case, you know, like some cities are just as stubborn as the individuals that are trying to get the skate park. But for the most part, it's young people doing the skateboarding stuff and they don't, you know, when you're young, you don't always know the approach. So you just go ahead, yeah. you know, so, but I agree. You fucking catch more bees with honey or whatever the saying is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to the future, like 10, 15, 20 years from now, when when people from our generation are in, in positions of power at local governments and, and nationwide governments, that by that point, either they have ridden a skateboard or they had a friend or family that has ridden a skateboard, and there'll just be a larger understanding around it and the need for it. And I think, I mean, we're already seeing the benefits of that today with the expansion of all the skate parks that are being built but i think we're only seeing the beginning and that you know it's exciting to see what will come from that yeah i agree man skateboarding has definitely infected the culture and has stuck around you know like people the only reason it sticks around is because people fall in love with it and then they do whatever they can to make time to continue to do it and then people even go above and beyond to build community and start events and take on responsibility financially for something they love you know like it's your joy it's hard if you make the thing you love your business as well because that's a fine line to walk, you know? Like, yeah. So, but people got to do it, you know? You got to kind of build these things up because the spark has to be there. It doesn't build itself, you know? So Right. That, I, uh, 
I'm sure someone said it before, but I always took uh, that the past president JFK and how he said, "Ask not what you can do for your nation, or ask not what your nation can do for you. Ask what you can do for nation, your nation." I've always replaced that for skateboarding. Like a lot of people look to skateboarding of like, "What can skateboarding do for me?" But it, your mindset should be flipped of what What can you do for skateboarding, and how can you give back? And then you'll in return skateboarding always gets back tenfold yeah i agree 100 percent. and it takes a long time you know like people get yeah. so excited on skateboarding and then they want to be sponsored and they want to be the pro and they want the shoe and they want all the lights and the limelight and all that and it's like even when you get that there's still work that comes with it so it's like totally. you got to take your time and no one escapes work so it's like you should work with your community and your local skate shop before Karen, you know, you should build up your own skate community and put the work in that that way you contribute to skateboarding, you grow your skateboard scene and people would appreciate that and maybe that, you know, it'll come around, you know. But a lot of people would like I think a mentality at least existed in skateboarding of kind of like the lottery, like you win it or whatever, but I don't know. I don't think it's you can really win it. You gotta maybe one person wins you it. Put the work in. <laughs> yeah, maybe Nigel won it, but I, even him, he's yeah. gnarly as fuck. Like he's risked yeah. his life on his skateboard. So yeah, he's taking a beating. Yeah, so there's no, there's always a cost, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good lesson. I feel like that skateboarding, um, on the whole, understands it now or is getting it. I, I like the idea of people of our generation. How old are you? I'm 35. Okay, I'm 34. So. We're the same age. So, yeah, like you were saying, like, when people in our generation kind of take over and, you know, inherit the earth and take the jobs up and maybe in position of power to, you know, but they'll all be a skaters. They'll be sick. Like, because everybody yeah. skates, right? <laughs> right. That was, I, I um, one time when I was giving a talk in a city council meeting in, in Prescott, I sucked the air out of the room with a comment. I said, and won't it be great one day when there's, as many skate parks as there are softball fields because <laughs> for some reason randomly the softball hall of fame is in arizona in prescott arizona and there's literally like a dozen softball fields and they're empty nine times out of ten all the time and it's like it's ridiculous you know it's just so funny but they think like it's i don't even know what their thought process is about softball or why that's important that just them fathoming the concept of like could there really be 12 skate parks in our town one day like <laughs> that just scared the crap out of them but for me like i don't know there's a lot of things around i mean not necessarily 12 skate parks but maybe 12 skate spots that are deemed legal to skate and it's you know a, a safe place where kids can skate and they don't have to worry about getting kicked out or getting a ticket or something yeah yeah, so. it's crazy that they can't see that it's like a good vehicle for development for young people because you can express yourself like it's very open to all genders and all yeah. sex, everything, you know, like we're, we really we make it a point in skateboarding to try to smash that down and not be into it. So you think people would just see that. But and just the practice, yeah. I guess you have to do it to understand it. That's the problem, maybe. Yeah, or at least be exposed to it. one time I, I did. um I've always been like an advocate for skateboarding and, and try to, you know, just help the other side or politics or gov local governments see the value of skateboarding and all those things you just mentioned of how it's, it's a great vehicle to express creativity and there's a zillion benefits to skating. Um, and one time I was in Green Bay, Arizona and organizing an event um, with the Green Bay Packers, believe it or not, and the local government, there was a, 
a skater that played for the Packers named Al Harris, um, or a football player named Al Harris who played for the Packers who actually skated. Oh, sick. He, he ripped. He like he did proper flat ground 360 flips, and his kid skated, and, and so he'd be at, at the skate park all the time. And I lived there for about six months, and when I showed up, it was like on the surface it looked like the best skate park ever because it was big and you know just expansive tons of concrete and everything but then you start rolling around and it was clear that someone who had never stepped foot on a skateboard in their life built this park so much so that like there'd be a pyramid that's in the corner of the skate park with grass on the end the back of it so like now you can only skate two sides of the pyramid yeah they, did, they didn't even take into consideration that you could skate the whole right. thing and that you should there was like there was a six block with 10 feet of run up yeah like what are you gonna in in the worst of all and i i kid you not there was this like whole big section it was kind of like a just a real mellow bowl it was like maybe four feet super mellow transition but then they put curbs down the middle of the transition <laughs> so if you were pumping around the corner you just run right into a wall like it was it made no sense so anyways um i i was rolling around and one of my best friends um played for the packers and he wanted to be involved in in the city of like giving back and, and doing some kind of philanthropic work and i was living with him i was like look man there's a skate park that needs a ton of help and they got an awesome skate scene out there. There's a local shop called Surfing Bird and just, just a lot of history for Green Bay and skateboarding. And, he, and my buddy, Brandon Chiller, he grew up around skating. He grew up in Carlsbad as well and he understood it and like new skaters always had a tough time having spots to skate and whatnot. He's like, I'd be down to have, host a fundraiser and, and, and generate some funds to build a new skate park for these guys. And I'm like, perfect. So I start coordinating with the lawyer or the the mayor and um, parks and recs and whatnot anyways long story short i bring the entire parks and recs department to the skate park to show them the deficiencies in the park of like why this doesn't make sense yeah it looks cool but let me show you what happens when you ride a skateboard how this doesn't work like the physics of it like they don't know the physics because right. they never done it <laughs> yeah and so we're standing there and there's like 20 kids there it's school had just gotten out so there's more kids showing up and you know there's adults and every, just skaters you know it's a wide range of characters that are skating the park and this skate park like many skate parks in the nation was featured or placed in a larger park setting so there's grass fields there's basketball courts there's a softball field there's all that stuff and it's a huge just park grounds area and here you have all these people crammed in a skate park shredding around having the best time and we're talking about it and i said and the participation level is pretty like substantial at this park right now wouldn't you say and the parks and rec the people people were all agreeing like yeah this is great i'm like what's the participation level at the softball field and basketball court right now and they didn't even look over they already knew they're like zero no one was on the basketball this court softball field still just full of ghosts you're like nobody yeah, nobody it's like, <laughs> it's, these people are finally starting to realize like this is what the youth want to participate in. It's let's give them the proper facility to do what they're passionate about and where they can thrive in, you know? Yeah, I like it. I like it too because skateboarding, there's no coaches, you know? Half the reason is because it becomes your work and your practice and you have a coach and then it becomes too re regimented and too boxed in. And then it's like yep. 
that's that will lower participation you know like yeah. for someone who's more free thinking and wants to just like do something at their own pace and at their own level like skateboarding is pretty open to that i think 100 percent. yeah yeah well this is Let's, you trip this oh. tripped me out because you're talking about like uh nfl players and you work with tony robbins and stuff do you feel uh, like you're in a bubble like do you feel like you're surrounded by famous people because these are some famous people um i'm really lucky and super privileged to work with some great people i i made like the comment to my wife the other day i was literally working like had projects in the mix with like seven best-selling authors at the same exact time like i never would have thought you know i worked at tamietto for five years and then had this amazing job opportunity to come work for tony robbins and through working with him um just have been exposed to tons of really just brilliant people and super successful people so it's not like i'm hanging out with celebrities all the time or by any means but i've definitely you know had the opportunity to work with some pretty high level people whether it's business owners athletes authors um, things of that nature yeah i was wondering if it felt that way though does it feel like you're hanging out with like, famous people <laughs> from uh, like an out because you're from the skateboard world i know famous people in yeah. skateboarding are like celebrities to me like if when i saw heath yeah. Kerchart, i was like fucking dumbstruck i didn't even recognize yeah. him because i'm just used to him posing the front board or something you know <laughs> but i'm still in yeah. awe and like tony hawk is like a celebrity that i've met yeah but it seems like you've been around him so does it feel like how's the air how's the air it's good. I mean, I love it. I, it's, you know, it's, it, it keeps me on my toes. It makes me want to rise. Cause I've never, I've never been like a, a goal of mine was never to be a pro athlete or anything. Cause I was never skilled in that area or be a musician or something like that. So I guess it's, I just find myself in these scenarios now where I gotta, you know, be on my best and, and try to perform the best. Um, but I agree like with skating, you know, working for toy machine I, I found myself working with my childhood hero and i'm collaborating collaborating on the regular with ed templeton like i'm still Fuck, i dude. still get starstruck around that dude and like he was my boss <laughs> but it's like it's that's like the best thing ever i've looked up to ed since i was like in the sixth grade and then fast forward 20 plus years and i'm working you know day to day with the dude so it doesn't like i don't i don't take it for granted by any means and it, what's funny is I never really, I don't, I can't recall like really getting super starstruck. I lived in Los Angeles and been exposed to all that stuff in terms of like, you know, actors and musicians and whatnot. What I find is I, like you, I still get super excited when I see my favorite skaters. Like that's who I think for me is what gets me really excited. And I guess starstruck in a way like, you know, seeing and hanging out with people like Brian Herman or something like. Yeah, that legend. just is the best, you know. And like you know, I mean, there's like this, there's a whole language around skateboarding and skateboarders where you just have this commonality and can communicate easily and, and know each other really quick. Like we could, you know, talk about Heath Kerchart's minefield part for probably an hour. <laughs> like for sure, hardly anyone would understand what we were saying, but we knew exactly what we're talking about and why we're excited about like like or just in awe of that backside flip he toe, got towed in on and did over the street gap or something like i don't know just just i don't i just find myself um 
more starstruck with skateboarding, I guess, than anything else. Yeah. How how are Tony Robbins like? There does he he has like legitimate fans. That man fills up arenas, right? Like a like a. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are their fan? How he must have people that are in awestruck of him. I can imagine. Yeah, he's you know that man's on another level for sure. He's just a gift to so many people's lives and and millions of people look up to him i don't know the stats of what he's how many people he's lives he's changed but it's in the millions for sure um i'm his social media manager so i see it every day when i'm monitoring comments and stuff of just the positive outflow of people just expressing how much he's either changed their lives or, or set them on the course of how they're gonna improve themselves and whether it's weight their weight or their you know physical fitness or their business or their relationship their finances all these things he helps so many people with so it's it's a trip i mean he has i think three million fans on twitter three million fans on facebook two million fans on instagram you know the list goes on and on so yeah it's a trip to see how big an impact he has on so many people's lives it's yeah amazing. that's that's uh, the comparison because i think of skateboarding and it's so it can be so unprofessional although it's trying to f- get more professional it seems like but compared to the industry with tony robbins is, is in it's like seems like it's really professional and he's he's a professional you know what i mean yeah it's crazy he's been at it for a long time too huh yeah he's uh it's been 40 years now which that's is insane. wild like he started he started the company I worked for when he was 18 years old mm. and uh, start, brought it down to San Diego when he was 19 and it's it at its core the company I work for he's believe it or not Tony's a owner and partner in I think 33 different companies Jesus. which is insane like he's one of them's a virtual reality company that like they film in, or they um, film and uh, broadcast every um, or they're the exclusive partner with the NBA and um, pro baseball. They do. Uh, they have a partnership with Live Nation where they they film all the top forty concerts. They film the Olympics, so it's like that's just one of thirty three companies. Then he has he's a partner in a pro soccer team called LAFC. It's the LA Football Club, and that's launching in twenty eighteen. And it's like super cool partners he has with that. It's like. Magic Johnson and Will Ferrell and Mia Hamm and Peter Goober and all these really amazing individuals. So there's that aspect of it. Um, And then the company I work for is called Robbins Research International. And that, at its core, it's a event production company. So we we produce about 15 events a year all around the world. And then we're also, we sell products, Tony's products, like his audio and video products. And then we have a this life coaching services where we have a team of these life coaches that have been personally trained by Tony. And it's kind of like, kind of like a therapist, but with a different spin on it, like more of helping people get beyond their fears or identifying what's holding people back and what they want to achieve. And it's like these um, weekly meetups that people have with their life coach. So, so it's like they try, well. they try to find like the wall that they hit in life, for, and then like help them over it, something like that. Exactly. Yeah, people could use that. When I was younger, I could have used more therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had you had your board for that though. So oh, dude. It took you, so thank fuck, thank fucking god, dude! I just skateboarding for sure. That was the therapy for sure. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. Um, 
we were we we were on a trip together in New Orleans. Do you recall that? I don't. Um, when? How long ago? So this was like, man, when did I go down? 2013 for Go Skateboarding Day when oh. um, we went to the Lower Ninth Ward. I was with Josh Freeberg. I do. Those. Yes, I yeah. do remember. That was, was insane, dude. Yeah, so I was with Josh for that. Um, and it was for that uh, nonprofit that he was doing called Just One Board. Yep. And I'll never forget, man, when you heard what it was called, you're like, oh, dude, that's that's me. I'm I'm the epitome of Just One Board. Look how my life has changed from riding a skateboard. It's incredible. And your life story is so inspiring for so many people, whether they skate or not. But I'll, I'll never forget that. I was wondering if you remember that or not, like, I remember that moment because New Orleans. I remember the moment because it was so insane. There was a lot of kids and all that. Like, did we go out into the courtyard? Yeah. Yeah, and we skated around. I think Mendenhall yeah. too is there, and that was yeah, sick. I can't recall. <laughs> it was the world team at that time. I can't remember who was on the team at that time, but yeah. you, you, I remember like, you know, the leader of the crew for sure, and. I can't recall if RP was out there or not. I was with RP last night, actually. Uh, nice. Fishing in uh, Oceanside. Did you guys catch anything? Yeah, we caught a bunch of fish, but all we threw them all back in there, super tiny. What were you, like freshwater? Uh, no, uh, in in the ocean. Oh, uh, ocean water. Off I'm the sorry. Oceanside Pier. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, and you caught, what did you catch? What kind of fish? Uh, mackerel. Nice. They're super tiny. They're like six inches you know, maybe maybe like eight inches it, it was like we we're catching bait or something <laughs> you gotta use yeah. them you gotta re-fish them you gotta use them as bait and cast them out yeah. like the bigger one right <laughs> my friends fish all the time and they they catch um largemouth bass they catch crappy pickerel catfish there's right. yeah a lot of my team riders for all i need they like to fish so they go do that and drink some fireballs and fish. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that trip to New uh, New Orleans. That was insane because I remember seeing so many skateboards at a school. The fact that we were in a school tripped me out too. I was like, this is yeah, we, crazy. So we together with IASC, the International Association of Skateboard Companies, and Just One Board, we donated throughout that weekend. I think it was like 800 complete skateboards. Amazing. that we donated to kids and what was wild was that was like ground zero for uh, Hurricane Katrina that where it like destroyed that whole neighborhood and I remember the local like the parents coming up to us and the teachers they're like believe it or not this is like the first time anyone's ever done anything for the kids and it had been like six years since the storm or something it was like tragic to hear that everyone forgot about these people but at the same time to have skateboarding be one of the first to show up and give back it's like such a powerful statement for skateboarding and, and i'd be curious to see how many kids stuck with it but again it goes back to that story of just one board who knows maybe coming yeah. out of that you have you know the next all-time ripper coming out of new orleans you know yeah it takes well i like to look at it this way because like it takes one spark so if there's one person that's sparked on skateboarding, that passion shines through, and usually they share it with the people around them, and then yep. people usually gravitate towards it. I've seen it a million times, you know? So yep. there's something awesome in that, the power of a skateboard. It's so silly because it's just wood and wheels, and you know what I mean? It's a <laughs> fucking toy, like they say. Right. That's <laughs> unreal. Um, I wanted to ask you about Tomietto. How did that come to be, and what was that like? 
I'm sure that was a pretty pretty intimidating going in, maybe. <laughs> a little bit. Um, I, you know, you always hear stories about Swank and like him being super gnarly and, and just having um, professionalism. He's very professional. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, coming off the skate shop, um, my dad and I shop. It was called Calabara, and I moved um, from AZ back to Carlsbad. And knowing, like, you know, you got to live in Southern California, essentially, if or you don't have to these days, but if you want to work in the industry, it's a good place to start. Around what time is this? And, what, what, uh... Um, 2011. Yeah, makes sense. And, um, at that time, I was, I had been using social media a lot to promote my skate shop, and I also had an all-ages music venue that I was, um that I owned and promoted through MySpace at the time was the big thing and was able to book bands um, all over the nation through MySpace, but that's another story. Um, but anyways, I I came to San Diego and there were several companies I dreamed of working for and saw these holes in, in or just missed opportunities for the time with social media that brands weren't really going full in at the time. Like they, they were a little bit, but there just seemed like that they weren't, it was an afterthought almost like, oh yeah, it's nice to have this Facebook and Twitter, but like, how's that really going to help our business? And then fast forward, you know, 2017 and it's mandatory to have all these things and, and it's a core part of everyone's business. It's because they didn't want to sign up for another MySpace. <laughs> yeah, that too. I guess it left a bad taste in people's mouths <laughs> and didn't know if it was going to work or not. And I, to be honest, I had those thoughts as well, but I wanted to position myself in a way where I could... I just wanted to work for someone. So, I mean, I, I spent a year, believe it or not, just pitching this concept, a, a proposal I put together that involved like what would be considered influencer marketing or like shop low kids combined with social media and then like social media programs for the brands and, and their pros. And it was just a, a whole series of no's, no's, no, 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 you know, like not having, no one was budging on that and no one was going to give me the opportunity to do the concept I was thinking. So at the time, <laughs> I was I had been unemployed for almost a year, and I needed a job. And my best friend's dad owned a Seven Eleven, so I started working the graveyard shift at Seven Eleven, and would then pitch my idea or, or organize meetings with whether it's Vans or DC, America, um, all the, all of those brands to to present my my program. And stuff just wasn't clicking. And one of them was Tom Yeto. I had several meetings with them. And Toy Machine had always been my favorite brand growing up. Welcome to Hell was one of like, the most important videos for me. And just, you know, always been into Ed's art and photography. And so um, I had emailed um, this guy named Kevin Furtado, who's VP of sales there. And he's co-founder of Decline Footwear emailed this guy for a year straight <laughs> for literally every other month I would email him like hey man is there any openings like um, and at this point I was like super desperate like I'm like I'll pack boxes I'll do anything just give me a chance I'm like once I'm in there I'll be able to you know navigate my way and see how I could add value because you'd rather so, I'd ra you'd rather pack boxes for skateboarding than work at the corner store right right yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh so like literally almost a year to the date of my first email to Kevin, I emailed him again and he replies like, you know what, we might have something for you. 
So I went down and the position was that um, there was all this old product in the in the warehouse, like all just old stuff from who knows how old, like over 10 years. And it was like just one-offs, you know, like there's one Gareth Stair foundation board and Gareth wasn't on foundation anymore. Dude, like, he shreds. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. Um, just like, you know, random belts or a backpack and just literally one-offs of all these little things that the sales reps didn't want to touch because if they discounted it, it, they wouldn't be making commission on it. So they weren't going to touch it. They're all about the new stuff, which makes sense. And so my responsibility was to package up all these random goods and find off price dealers um, and websites to package and sell to. And so I was in there grinding, doing it. It was only a part-time job and I was having success with it. But the funny thing was, is like, I'm seeing like within less than 30 days, I'm going to sell all this stuff and then I won't have a job because there's nothing left to sell. You didn't work but yourself out of a job. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what's happening. But what was cool is I started, you know, um, in the office hanging out with the employees, the sales team and Kevin and Swank and they're getting to know me and I'm slowly dropping little hints and tips about social media and showing them where they can improve. And sure enough, once I sold all that stuff, they're like, hey, why don't you put together a little proposal on where where you see yourself and, and what you could do for Tom Yeto. And so, lo and behold, I ended up creating my own job at Tom Yeto and uh, Fuck yeah. called myself the new media manager for Tom Yeto and did that for uh, about five years. So, And I'm still really tight with those guys. I was just hanging out down there yesterday. Um, I'm not you know, employee of theirs anymore, but I'm, you know, they're like family to me and I'm still like just a kid at heart, just a fan of, you know, Toy Machine and Foundation has such an amazing team and, and history and skateboarding. And so I'm always, you know, wanting to share what I'm learning and then, you know, just see what those guys are up to and what's going down at, at the Yeto. I love that. I love that you brought up Gareth Stir. I haven't thought of him in a long time. Was he yeah, from New man. Zealand? Yeah. 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 That's he, right. He would make a great podcast guest. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Said, yeah, that dude was him and uh, I'd love to get him and Corey Duffel in the same room just to hear their stories together oh my travel in the world. God, that would be amazing. That would be fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, Gareth yeah. was always a character. Like he there's no one like him from as far as I can tell. I've never seen Total anybody original. else. Yeah. <laughs> Total original, yeah. That's crazy. I wanna oh, um so I wanted to ask you, was uh where does that come from? Because where's your work ethic? Is it just from your dad just always sparking you? Like, because it seems like you have um, not everyone has it. Not everyone has like a work. A lot of success comes from just not giving up and persisting. And yeah. you, the stories you're telling me, you created your own job or worked your way out of a job. So like, where's yeah. that fire, internal fire, come from? I think part of it's yeah, the example my dad set for me for sure, and then just little, little like tidbits of wisdom that people like mentors of mine or people I looked up to over the years, one thing that always stuck with me and I think about all the time is a friend of mine said, you know, Tyler, um, no one's ever going to like give you the cool shit to do. No one's ever going to give you a project. Say here, like take this and run with it. It'll be awesome. It's you have to do, you have to create the cool shit as he would say, like you got to take the initiative and just, and kind of just step into the unknown and, and have faith that it, it'll work out. And if it doesn't work out, you just kind of pivot and keep 
keep you know analyzing and strategizing of how to make your whatever your your desire or goal is and and reach that outcome so i think yeah partly my dad and then um a lot of it too is just skateboarding in general i think there's so many unseen benefits that get wired through our entire body riding a skateboard all the time whether it's falling down and picking yourself up again the aspect of actually not having a coach and someone telling you what to do and so just having that kind of diy mentality of like if i want to do this i got to do it myself like no one's going to hold my hand so i think that's part of it and and then like yeah just persistence and and like having faith that it'll work out because i mean trust me i was i was working at 7-eleven at 30 years old and like that's was an extreme low point for me you know it's like I can laugh at it now but it was super depressing like and at the same time I was um, getting sober um, I should back up that's another factor that really helped me was quitting drinking um, solid life choice like that I just it it just helped me be more productive I think is putting the bottle down and and quit drinking what would you like Um, to drink pardon what was your poison Oh my gosh! Uh, everything <laughs> over the years, I was definitely like. Unfortunately, it's sad to say, but I'd I'd have a old English old English forty literally oh. every single day, and then probably back it up with the second one, and then I'd hit the bar. That was like my primer. Um, <laughs> nice. All sorts of crap, you know, E and J brandy for some reason, and just random drinks, you know. Well, what was the catalyst to make you realize it wasn't going well that way? Um, <laughs> Uh, just like, you know, it's funny. I went, I never went to AA full time, but I was in New York city one time. My buddy was, uh, he got sober and he became a lawyer in New York, which is like, I can't imagine the workload of that and like how hard you got to study and and work to become a lawyer in New York city. But anyways, he got sober and he took me to his AA meeting that was, um, they called it the Coke and hooker ward. (laughs) <laughs> it was on the Upper East Side and it's like you have all these extremely wealthy dudes that are you know high powered attorneys or Wall Street traders and whatnot, and they're all making tons of money and they just have crazy habits of drinking doing blow and buying hookers so, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure um, up there that's why that lifestyle a lot of pressure you gotta relieve it somehow yeah, I imagine. <laughs> totally and so I went from like the entertainment value of like to, to run with it but um, I don't know if you've ever been to an AA meeting but it, it's mostly like a storytelling format where they have uh, a person speak every time it's a new speaker and they're they're an AM themselves and uh, this one guy he was telling his story and my story was like identical to his in terms of the habits coke like, and hookers coke and hookers the, no 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was not my habit mine was like the uh you know the daily 40 the having a couple 40s and then go hit the bar or yeah whatever. you were like vacation land drinking all day uh, not working just fucking lounge, right. well, lounging yeah and plus at that time i just come up the skate shop and it's like that's the daily routine it's like shop life you know and drinking and barbecuing and that whole deal um and the one thing that stuck with me is like he thought his behavior was so normal and that he um it's funny i'm sharing this but he he would uh start his day off by vomiting every single morning and i did i did the same exact thing oh that's how i started my day was like you feel better after is that why 
Yeah, I think it was just like getting last night out of me or something. Because I would never, like, I'd drink to no end and like just keep going and then fall asleep. But I'd never vomit from drinking too much. Like I, I'm, I did as a kid, you know, drinking in high school and stuff. But as an adult, I started my morning off doing that, and I just thought it was completely normal. Like that's how I functioned. Like that's how I started my day. And so that hit me like, well, that is not normal at all. That's probably not real healthy either. Like just being dumb, you know, in your mid twenties, not really thinking of stuff like that. At least I wasn't. Yeah. And so that stuck with me. And then the fact that like, you know, I was unemployed um, and just kind of like having these series of bad moments happening where I was just like acting like an idiot when I drink too much or I was never a violent person or anything, but just making poor choices or being hung over the next day and not just wasting the entire day away. And when, when you're slowly becoming an adult, you're reaching your thirties and you're unemployed, you don't have much to show except you can drink a ton of alcohol. That's like all you're good at. Yeah. <laughs> it's like started to reevaluate, um, what I was doing. So yeah, that was a big shift. And then, um, and then actually finding um, Jesus Christ and, and going to church is what helped me a lot. Um, probably the most was just being around a group of people, RP Vest included, where just surrounding myself with people that wanted to make the same lifestyle lifestyle choices that I was trying to achieve in terms of, you know, not drinking and whatnot. Yeah, it's funny because our efforts become our, like, the amount of effort we put in becomes our pattern almost, you know? If you just don't do anything, then you get nothing, you know? It's, you, just, you just sit there. But if you put a lot of effort in, you can keep going. So you got to build up good habits, daily habits. It's hard. I'm still... Because you still... Sometimes you overwork and you need relaxation. Yeah. The opposite, oh. you know what I mean? Like, So to find balance in that is uh, a good life hammer for sure. Totally. It's it's really hard to achieve and something that I'm always thinking about now that I have, you know, a wife with two kids and like trying to find that space between, you know, grinding real hard and, and trying to do the best I can possibly do for my job, but also like remembering like, hey, I gotta be the best father too and how 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 do you balance those two? And back to your point of like um focusing Tony I, I'm always having these Tony quotes go through my head because I run his social media accounts so I'm always tweeting stuff but a quote that always sticks with me is that where focus goes energy flows and so whatever you're putting your focus into you'll constantly kind of like be filling up that gas tank with the right energy and, and you know keep making headway towards what you want to achieve yeah it makes sense man i just recently moved all my skateboard stuff into my um garage i have like a full warehouse and it's nice. uh just this for that same principle i was like it'll have my attention i'll be around it i'll be inspired i'll see it more it'll make me do more yeah. stuff and like so and it does i just hang out in this room all the time because i'm just That's like awesome. it's everywhere in front of me you know and it's like yeah it's feeding you yeah it's a good it's a good motivator a good reminder you know we need those in life you know Oh yeah, That's yeah. You got to set yourself up with those, those things like those visual cues, like for yourself, or whether it's uh, watching a YouTube video that will get you sparked, or listening to audio. It's like uh, here's another Tonyism, but he said, uh, "Repetition is the mother of all skill." Like you have to continually build upon what you're doing. You can't you can't get lax or lazy. That you know, the minute you get comfortable, it can slip away, and you always have to 
in a way, it sounds kind of whack, but you got to one-up yourself a lot. <laughs> yeah, which is, which makes sense because life is progression, right? Like, yep. even you could continue to progress even when you're 100. Your mind can keep going. Usually if you're healthy and you can find ways to keep your health and you're a bit lucky, we could see what we could aspire to be, you know, as oh, individuals. Yeah. Like, that's important. That takes everyday practice because it's easy to slip into madness, you know? So repetition repetition can help you and it can hurt you because some people settle for the same thing over and over again just out of like having bad habits and then that repetition yep. imprisons them i've seen that as well yeah but yeah getting stuck in patterns for sure yeah because it, it's then it gets scary to leave that habit or that pattern up behind you know and move past it transcend yeah, it's, it's those those habits are comforting you know yeah yeah <laughs> unfortunately and there's like, I always think about the growing pains too in life because they're called pains because it's not easy. It's like you really have to like kick yourself in the face sometimes and your ego and realize that you could be better and, and just find different areas. That's why I like when I meet fellow people with the, the internal fire. They just want to keep going and figure it out. And like, I like what you were saying earlier about readjusting. Like we do with skating. You try a trick and you start adjusting until you figure out what works and then that becomes your style and you forge it and you can master it. The same in life, you know, like if you just, you don't really take a loss, you just learn from it and then you adjust and those inches add up and then, you know, yeah. I was like, I always preach to people too a lot about picking up change because I'm like, we go to fucking war over this useless shit. Like it means nothing if we don't pick it up. Like, yeah. I swear, I go to like the projects a lot of times and I see pennies on the ground and it's like, makes me mad because I'm like, I, I know when I, I needed pennies in my life before, you know, so like, yeah. it's insane, like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's cool that you're surrounded. Awesome. It's cool that you're surrounded by um all those people and it seems like having Tony around is pretty sick cuz he had, probably has a lot of uh, advice and wisdom, you know. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it helped keep you in in uh on the right path, you know. It's easy it's a lot easier I imagine to be really successful if you have a lot of people trying together. That's something that yeah. I love is when people try cuz then if you try, you keep trying. <laughs> You'll nail it sometimes, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally, it's super infectious. Just like, um, just like skateboarding, you know, when when someone's trying to push themselves, it kind of sparks everyone else, and they're like, "Oh, I want what he's getting. Like, I want to try that. Like, I'm gonna try to, you know, go for it because so and so. Like, uh, I just saw something on John Cardiel of like how he is the ultimate dude of getting everyone sparked, and like everyone's like, "Oh, I want what that guy has right now." Like. I'm going to try it because John's getting after it right now. Maybe it'll, like, rub off on me a little bit, you know? Yeah, you, like, catch his hype and, like, go in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so you can, you can take that same approach to the workspace or whatever you do in life, and, and it's really key to surround yourself with people that are going to want to put the work in and try as well, and then you can learn together and, and figure it out, you know? Yeah, they should teach this stuff in schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think. Did you, uh, forgive me, uh, did you say you went off to college? Did you do college? Um, I sort of, I, I didn't get a four-year degree. I got um, an associate's degree, and then, believe it or not, I got a, um, a certificate in filmmaking, and then um, I have also from UCSD Extension, um, this, uh, I got later in life, when I was working at Tamiato, actually, in my 30s, I got a certificate in uh, digital marketing. Right. That's sick. So yeah, no, uh, no official four-year degree, which I, in the back of my mind, I, I honestly always regret. Um, but I don't 
think about it too much because you just got to keep pushing and and then you look at individuals like my boss Tony Robbins he he only graduated high school and that dude's nearly a billionaire or so yeah <laughs> you, you can like you know just the same you know same theme as skateboarding like it's what you put in and, and what what you're going to get out of it you know just because you have a four-year degree doesn't guarantee you any sort of success or anything yeah 100 percent because that wouldn't be fair if everyone had to put themselves in debt to get education yeah. <laughs> if that was the only way like we already seen the end of that trail like god damn yeah. it <laughs> Um, do all right. Do you ever just because I'm thinking about you have two kids and like all this stuff. Do you, do you stress about fucking politics at all? Or are you anti? Are you anti politics? <laughs> Dude, I was never thought about it until Trump was elected, and now I'm like addicted to like hearing all the drama. <laughs> oh, it's it's amazing it's, stories. It, yeah, yeah. It's it, I feel like we're living in this movie. So I don't know. I mean. I, I definitely take sides with some things. I'm I definitely right in the middle. I think I'm pretty, you know, conservative on some issues and then super liberal on others, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Why? How about you? Oh, man. I mean, I've never really been political because, I don't know, I grew up in the projects, you know what I mean? Like, politics wasn't really helping us because we're in the projects you know what i mean it's like i don't care who's in power right now like like let's worry about some food and shelter and safety you know like the necessities so like i always kind of had that mentality where i'd look at politics and i'm like they're fighting over luxuries you know like resources that i don't need, no one had we don't have access to yeah. and um there's no benefit for you yeah they got to put some of that resources into social welfare and humanities and stuff like that you know like so I never really became real political because, like, I couldn't see how it correlated. But as I get older, I guess, I look at it, but I I still think it's kind of trivial. It's a bunch of people that own resources, and a lot of them, or weapons or whatever, and they're, that's what politics is, is they're arguing with each other. <laughs> While the rest of us are just kind of, like, trying are at the whims of whatever yeah. they do, you know, like, which is terrible. Yeah, which is terrifying. So, yeah, especially this day and age, like, yeah. I mean, you can go down I find myself going down the rabbit hole of like all the crazy stuff Trump is doing and I'm like man like is this really benefiting me in any, in any ways but I guess it's always good to be more informed but it's just uh, it's tough right now you know and we only have so much time on this earth so it's like unless I'm really going to step up and move into the po political arena which I do not see myself doing <laughs> I don't know if it's really worth you know dedicating a lot of time and resources to watching or like you know reading about politics and whatnot yeah well which you'll... probably sounds uneducated but at the same time like like you said it's like what i don't know it's just a tough spot to be in you well you'll become what you consume if you watch politics all the time and shit you'll be a politician you'll go into the show and you'll compete and did it it's like being a skateboarder or whatever it's yeah. they're literally career politicians it's called that it's their career you know so like right. And, like, the devil's in the details, you know? Like, no human has ever made a mistake or compromised their beliefs ever for fame and fortune. Like, ever. That's never <laughs> happened. <laughs> That's what it seems, you know? Like, I'm not... And I'm not religious. I thought that was sick that you, you said religion helped you. I kind of wanted to go back to that. How, how, how so? Like, you came in and you're surrounded by good people and... Yeah, it's... It's a lot of things. I think... Um, it was a big shift for me, you know, one, my lifestyle didn't align with, um, I'm 
LDS, a Mormon. So uh, traditional Mormon lifestyle is, you know, you're not drinking or doing drugs and, and a whole list of other things. Um, a lot of things appealed to me about the church. I think the first thing that really resonated with me um, was that you have this giant church organization and no one's being paid. It's all volunteer. And that was one thing. I, I didn't grow up religious um, or spiritual or anything like that. And because I kind of always had a bad taste uh, with religion and, you know, like just seeing like living next door to a, to a pastor of a church where his full-time job is to preach the gospel and, and he lives in a two-story house and drives a Mercedes. That yeah. doesn't seem very godlike. So it's, it's tough. I, I've just, and, and, you know, religion causes a lot of, uh, you know, turmoil in the world and a lot of violence and there's a lot of, you know, disagreement over things and, and it just can be a bad thing for people overall and it can be a really wonderful thing for people. Um, but what shifted for me, I think, is, yeah, seeing that that um, service aspect. I think that's what appeals to me the most these days is, is giving service and in, in, in doing help for others, whether it's, you know, going to an elderly woman's house and helping her with yard work or, um, you know, giving money when it when you can or any level of you know, donating food or old clothes or whatever it is of trying to help or mentor or use something like that where I think um, those were some of the things that stuck out and then just seeing just being around people that were living that true lifestyle because I didn't think that was even possible like when I met my wife I could not fathom the fact that she's never drank or smoked in her entire life like I thought she was lying to me. I was like, that's BS. Like, there's no way. Dude, dude, I've had tons of moments because I'm, like, where, where I grew up, there was a lot of shit that was acceptable, you know? Like, yeah. And then when I met people that were, like, wholesome and had never been uh, introduced to stuff at a young age, like that type of corruption. It's like, I believe, yeah. I have many awkward situations where I think people are bullshitting. Yeah, like, it just doesn't, yeah, I guess you're a product of your environment. Like, <laughs> being in skateboarding you know you're exposed to a lot of stuff at a young age where you can take it or leave it i think a lot of us take it but the interesting thread i'm seeing is perfect example would be like the baker team you know like watching baker 2g and 3 like it's all about raging and partying and drinking and smoking all these things and then you fast forward 10 years later and almost the entire team's sober now and it's like that's just based off what they you know what they were getting from life is they they wanted to have more longevity in their careers and have a bigger impact so i think you know putting the bottle down for a lot of folks helped them stick around you know i could imagine like skateboarding would suck if andrew reynolds didn't film another part after baker 2g you know but yeah that'd be a loss for sure yeah <laughs> so yeah I don't know if that answered your question, but... <laughs> no, it did, it did, man. Uh, really, uh, the reason why I was asking about religion, too, was that it was uh, very impactful uh, on me at a young age. And I never really became religious, but I I went to um, Royal Rangers, which was like a Boy Scout church group. And uh, my dad always took me to churches and, like, just the positivity and the meeting the people. Just seeing people that were on, like, good behavior and, like, seemed normal yeah. and, like, were helpful and... Um, caring, caring was like good for me, you know. And I was yeah. like, I wonder where that comes from, you know. And then you see, then I look into the Bible, and there's a lot of contradictions, like you were saying. And then like you don't know up from down. It reminds me of politics, to be honest. Like 
you don't know oh, truth yeah. or what's false. So after a while, it just becomes poisonous for us, and we have to move past it, I think, or yeah. redefine it or something. Or Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Take what's good, but somehow let go of all the stupid shit. Like, um, But it, it did have a big, big impact on me, even though I didn't become religious. I still took a lot of good things from it, you know? Like, yeah. I, I like That's when awesome. people can find that. Because... Because usually if you join a church, you have to kind of, you have to want to, like, seek it, and you have to find benefit from it, right? I imagine. Shouldn't be forced totally. on you, right? <laughs> oh, that was, well, what was funny for me, it's like, I was introduced to the church through my girlfriend's father, and so I was dating, who now is my wife, she lived in New York City, I lived in Carlsbad, and um, her dad called me to lunch one day and started just getting feedback from me on what are my thoughts and where my head was at because, you know, he knew his daughter really liked me and that it could pro progress into something. He's like, I just want to let you know where where we're coming from, what our values are, and just to give you exposure to it and see what you think. And so he would slowly invite me to stuff, and I just, it wasn't, I don't know, it definitely wasn't forced upon me, but then I had this, like, dilemma where I'm like, okay, I'm going down this path. I really love this girl. But if I get baptized in this church and become a member just for a girl, that's like completely unfair to the girl, but super disrespectful to the church too. Like that's not, that's not the most, that's the least Christ-like thing ever. It's well, you'd be living a lie. You'd have to, you'd yeah. be living a lie. You'd have to go to church all the time and you'd be like, oh, I just did it for the chick. And like, <laughs> Well, and then it, it would never last. There would be no yeah. longevity in there. I would have given up and been like, oh, I'm going to go skate or go travel on Sunday or do something, you know. So, um, but similar to a lot of things in life, I started putting work into it and praying a lot and listening to discussions and reading scriptures and just giving, just pondering, literally thinking about it over and over. It's like, is this the right path? And I literally, what, what's funny is... I was living in a house with my best friend who played for the Packers, and the Packers won the Super Bowl that year. Sick. And so, needless to say, the house I was living in was just pure debauchery. Like, <laughs> you have you have the Super Bowl champion where it's the off season and like everyone's raging. Cocaine and hookers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't say it, you did. <laughs> but uh, it was nuts. And I'm, li I'm living amongst it. And while at the same time I'm unemployed and just have these dreams, but like it's so easy to get caught up in like the party and having a good time. But it was like slowly turning into Groundhog Day and just same crap over and over again, same hangover over and over again. And so I found myself literally at these crossroads of like, do I stay loyal to my friends and my lifestyle that I've known and done and that pattern, like being stuck in that pattern and being comfortable and like, this is what's, you know, what I know and like, am I really unhappy or am I just telling myself unhappy? Like, and then, or do I go down this path where it's it was super scary for me, one, completely changing my lifestyle but to pursuing something that's completely foreign to me and being surrounded by people that I'm normally not surrounded by and would feel uncomfortable around thinking they're judging me for how I've grown up and the choices that I made but that was just all me in my head and come to find out you know I, I chose the latter path of like 
let, let's do this and like figure out if this is the right thing. And, and thankfully I had a testimony from God that like, this was the right thing to do. It's a super trippy story, but I feel like I have to share it to validate why I made this choice. Um, and so within the Mormon church, I'm sure you've seen the missionaries of those guys and the, the white shirts with the black ties and the name yep. badges and they go around prophesizing on bikes, and right? Usually. Exactly. Yeah. And so they lived like half a block away from me in, in the Super Bowl house. <laughs> so like nice. they'd like show up at my door. I'm like, just opening the door a little crack, like, trust me guys, you don't want to come in here. You'll, <laughs> you'll evaporate. Like, <laughs> so, um, but I, I, I started hanging out with them and just kind of like, listening to what they're saying but like still just always on the fence i was always on the fence i couldn't commit and because I, I didn't i didn't know i didn't it just wasn't i didn't know if it was the right move for me to do and i kept saying are you, are you just doing this for a girl what's your deal and so um uh i'm sitting in a dis- discussion with two missionaries and my girlfriend is in new york but i'm at her parents house with um, her brother and her mother and we finished the talk and after every discussion the missionary would ask you like you know do you want to be baptized in this church and I'd say no a million times like I was like no man like it's it's not for me and uh this one time uh Greg my sister's or my wife's brother looked at me and he's like Tyler like do you think do you have a fear of this like are you afraid to make this choice and I never thought of it in that context. And I was like, yeah, maybe I am kind of afraid. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe. And right when I acknowledged that, I, I swear to you, I had the craziest feeling ever of like an adrenaline rush times a million where I had this gnarly surge through my body of like this crazy energy was pulsating through me. I started crying profusely and I was paralyzed. Like I couldn't even move. It was just the most euphoric feeling I've ever felt in my life. And later on learned that that was the spirit telling me like, yeah, you, you're getting it. Like, this is it. This is for you. And, and everyone in that room, they, afterwards, they told me like, I've never felt the spirit so strong in a room in my entire life, but I'm sitting there with this feeling that seemed like minutes. Like I couldn't believe it, it was just like a fire inside of me. And the missionary leaned over. He's like, will you be baptized in this church? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, like, what? Like, that was so insane. I yeah. And I, I couldn't deny that. You know, I think had I denied that, I don't even want to know where I'd end up. But like, and it wasn't all roses afterwards. You know, I, when I got baptized, I then started working for 7-Eleven and it was a long road to success for, you know, what I, I feel is success in terms of like, having you know having a wife and kids and and a steady job and being able to do something i'm proud of and being involved in a a community where i'm surrounded by people i've looked up to my entire life so just having uh, just having appreciation for life is like the the success because like not everybody graduates to that that level you know like that's that's a height uh, that's a height in the world people can hit you know yeah that's awesome dude yeah, I'm super thankful that I was able to experience that. I can't even believe I'm, I guess I'm having my missionary moment right now. I've never really told that story in a public setting, but, uh. Well, I, I appreciate it. it. 
I appreciate it. Because cool. like Thanks, it would yeah. suck. It would suck if people were religious and felt like they couldn't talk about it. You know, like because it it yeah. seems like it Im- impacts a lot of people's lives. So yeah, in some parts of the world they can talk about that. So yeah, I guess it's nice to have the freedom to talk about skateboarding and God. <laughs> I've had th- some of those low. I've had some of those moments uh, in life that you described about having that surge and stuff, but it was at my lowest. It's like when life hit me at the lowest. I've had those moments of like you said a fire in you and stuff and like i didn't i didn't let it like i didn't let it drag me down but i try to use it you know like when it gets when things get super hard and you have that surge and that like face of change and you have to like move forward or make a decision mentally am i going to keep going this way like like or you just have to have acceptance to understand like you know so i've had those at my lowest which is weird the opposite That's awesome. <laughs> yeah tony calls it a it's the difference between having shoulds and musts yeah it's like you know you should do something but you never do it and when you do do it is when it becomes a must and when you make that shift in your head and everything becomes a must that you will the will finds a way and you can achieve what you're thinking yeah or one of what your out your outcome is desired to be yeah i like that that was another reason I called my brand all I need was because I, I know that we must take care of our needs as individuals, you know? If we each can cover our own needs and find a way to to do that so we can be stable, then we'll be great together, you know what I mean? But we it's an individual journey because we can only experience our own lives. We can feel other people's lives and stuff, but really we can only affect our own lives, And you know? So if you cover your needs and you're not part of the problem, then that's one less problem, you know? Like... Seems yeah. like a uh, thing uh, working towards. Um, a perfect analogy of that is when you take a flight and the flight attendant, when they go through the emergency thing, they tell you to put on the air mask. If, if the plane goes down and those air masks deploy first, you're supposed to put it on yourself first before you put it on your kids because you have to be able to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anyone else yeah and that's which, which that's a perfect kind of backwards but it makes sense you know yeah that's a perfect analogy that's genius my, mine also come from my mom like i saw all the mistakes my mom was going through and it, it happened from something bad happened to her as a child and it slowly drifted and she became an adult and couldn't get past her issues and dealt with drugs and a lot of gnarliness and she had five kids with three different men and like that's i was a product of that situation i was birthed into so I watched my mom make a shit ton of mistakes throughout her life and uh, dig herself deeper and deeper. Like, I imagine she came to the same crossroads I did and let it drag her down. But she had different hardships, so I can't even falter, you know? But but my whole process growing up was, like, I just wanted to, like, to like uh, get her to realize that she needed to, like, worry about herself and fix herself, you know? Everything was happening to her. I was like, yeah. it's happening to you because you're allowing it to and you're falling apart. So I was trying to see her, show her the value of, like, life and her life, especially, you know? Um, so, like, a lot of my... That's how I had to react with the world was that. I was like, oh, God, I'm lost from the beginning, you know? So, yeah. but, but but it, it helped me... that as an example, you know, look where it's taking you, you know? It's incredible. It's helped, it's helped me have an understanding of life that um, brings me joy right now, so I cannot complain at all. <laughs> That's right, man. I love that. Yeah. Um, dude, let me just make sure we got everything I wrote down. Oh, I wanted to ask you about um, two things. I'm glad I checked this. 
Two was um, with Tom Yeto, was it ever hard getting, like, did you ever have to speak to the guys on the team and, like, try to get them into social media? Because, like, around that time, it wasn't, yeah. it was a pain in the ass, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it it still is. I, 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 I won't name names, but they, and I get it, they just hate it. It's like, there, there's that level of self-promotion where it's like, they don't want to be hyping themselves up, but at the same time, it's just finding that happy medium of, like, you know, giving the fans what they want, you know, giving them a sneak peek behind the curtain and, and um, that, and then showing support for the brands that are sponsoring you. But just, I think um, one story I remember, I'll never forget this because I, I felt dumb doing it, but I was like, I got to grow these accounts. So I, I started Toy Machine's Instagram. I started Pig Wheels Instagram. And I started Foundation's Instagram. Nice. And so that's from ground zero. And I'll, I'll never forget, there were, I, I mean, I had literally a zillion different job responsibilities at Tummy. It was a very small company. And like, <laughs> you find yourself like, yeah, I'm the social media manager and I'm updating the website, but I'm also like, when it's crunch time, I'm loading boxes up, you know, and, and getting product out the door. I also worked really closely with Mike Sinclair, who's the team manager for all those brands. Fuck yeah, Mike's and, the uh, man. Hell yeah. Yeah, one of the, like, just a side note, working for Mike Sinclair is one of the greatest things ever. I've learned so much from that dude and just a great inspiration. And it should be noted that part of my work ethic comes from Mike, seeing how hard that dude grinded and, and like, how many jobs he would juggle so he could work in an industry that he loved, you know, and just, just a, an amazing hard worker and really talented. But uh, anyways, I would pack boxes for the team dudes and send them what they needed as well. And at the time, we had this new flow kid named Jeremy Liabres, who no one knew who he was, and uh, sending him his first package. And I remember writing a handwritten note in there like, hey, man, if you could take a photo of this and tag Pig Wheels and be like, you know, thanks for the box, or just give a shout-out to Pig Wheels because we had, like, a 1,000 followers at the time or something that was brand new. And I'm like, dude, this is so whack, but I like <laughs> I got to grow these accounts and like, you know, it's like, just got asked, you know, if you, you aren't going to hit a home run unless you swing the bat. So I'm like, I got to, you know, ask him. So anyways, he, he did the photo and then all of a sudden all his buddies just started capping on him in the comments. <laughs> like, ah, that's so whack. And, it, and I forget what he said. This is like back in 2012. Um, so I can't remember how far back that was, but I just remember it was like, you know, I know it seemed like for some dudes that's a chore and it's like, oh, I got to like do this. And then some people, they just, they do it so amazingly and they do an amazing job at like the world of social media, you know, and give the fans what they want to see and have real passion about what they're sharing. Like someone like Kelly Hart, you know, who's, he hypes as footwear like no other. And, but you can see his passion for it and his love for it. So it, it comes off the right way, you know, it doesn't seem forced or that he's like trying to push some agenda. He's just genuinely really stoked on the brand and what they're doing over there. So yeah, there was times when it was, I think just it's in, it's funny with social media has always been a struggle for me and getting people to adopt it. Um, back in the day, my argument was that you needed social media accounts for your business. A lot of businesses didn't understand that, whether it's skateboarding or a dentist office or a restaurant, something like that. Now, I don't need to make that argument anymore. Everyone understands the value of having social media. 
but now my new argument is is a ton of different things of like everyone assumes social media is this marketing channel and granted yes it is a marketing channel but it, it's also a customer service channel and like there's a, an element to social media where you have all your fans the people who are buying your products or a fan of your product and they're leaving comments about what they think whether it's positive or negative and so many brands just let that go into the void and don't acknowledge it which is a huge mistake because it's like you're just ignoring these people it's a public platform so now it's like i'm trying to make the, the point that like social media yeah it's marketing but it's also a customer service channel and that needs to be addressed for you know a lot of companies and have start hiring customer service specialists in social media which sounds kind of boring but at the same time it's like it's a necessary aspect of the industry yeah i i 100 agree and i've tried to tell people about social me- media you know and get some resistance i actually talked brandon westgate into it thank god right oh, everyone oh, out yeah, there should have an instagram forever everyone out there owes me a fucking favor owes me a beer oh you started his ig with him dude i argued with that kid for months on end because he's like he's like it's so much work like why am i doing it i would argue about the value of it i was like dude it's so powerful you could help our skate scene all this stuff and that's that's how i got that's how i got there and he now he kills it you know but like it was like so much work but um that's what i was asking and then also i'm uh, a brand manager for world industries which is crazy to think and and uh and uh I deal with trolls because people are so passionate about world industries and yeah. um, Steve Rocco and the legacy of world, you know, and it's chaos. That's the yeah. legacy is chaos. Like some of the greatest skaters and some of the craziest business tactics and moves. And so like I have to brunt that I'm customer service rep a lot of times. And yeah. for the most part, people like my job's easy because people post so much sick world content that stuff they had and collected and the reasons why they liked world and so i do a lot of reposting but dude i get some i get some trolls that are so angry that we're trying to rebuild it and they're just like want to burn it down and i'm like i don't know how to respond but be honest and tactful and like after a while it's like it's ridiculous i'm like how is this person putting so much energy into destroying instead of just building up something of their own to compete or to do it however they want you know like right. your own expression but uh it's the platform uh social media is very powerful it's whatever you want it to be it could be our own prisons or it could be a great tool to help a lot of people or to help yourself you know like yeah crazy it's cool that you've managed to do that on a fucking really really high level <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's cool man um One yeah thing uh, you can remember i forget the guy who wrote it Oh, Jay Bear. He wrote a book called Hug Your Haters. Yeah. And uh, with regards to the trolls on social, and it's like, you, there's he has a nice sequence involved of, like, I think acknowledging them twice, and then if it keeps going, just, just let them go on and don't say anything. But, like, first acknowledge them and say whatever, you know, needs to be said, or, you know, either, however that comment, there's a, you know, a million different scenarios. And then if they reply back, it's either you, you reply back once or you don't and just let it, at least it's the public records there that you acknowledge this person and you try to meet their needs. And then if they're going to be unreasonable, they're going to be unreasonable. 
Or you can just pull an Ed Templeton and block him instantly. <laughs> <laughs> this is my dilemma because it's I get so much positive feedback for all I need and for World, but World especially is like there's just one or two people occasionally, and they usually go away. And I hate deleting yeah. anyone's comments because I'm down for expression yeah. and whatever. So I try not to do that, but um, I agree. At least I try my tack. My my way of approaching it is to respond back to to them and let them know like if they're wrong. Because a lot of times they're saying shit they don't understand, you know. So it's like yeah. I gotta at least clear the water, and then at least there's a trail, you know. And then if the person it got to the point where he's just unreasonable, and you can see the trail of him just still trying to take jabs over nothing, and you're just like, it's ridiculous, but. It's like a lot of time in relationships with, with people just because they hate something and are, are bored and or it's like entertainment to them, you know? It's like yeah. it's, it's super confusing. <laughs> I don't understand people's train of thought of how they can keep that going and just hate and Well I've been know, there. Just, I've been there. It's like it's when I was growing up I had shitty communication and person to person reaction. So then like when in and when the internet comes and now you have shitty communication in real life and then you try on the internet, it's even more disconnected, so like I've I've kind of been there for sure. <laughs> Sick. Um, I think we covered everything, man. Um, is there anything you want to like uh, plug, like any websites or social media sites or anything that you'd like to share with anyone that might be of any value? Um, nothing really. I just like to say, you know, um, kind of bring it back to the skateboarding advocacy part. Um that you know if anyone's listening and wondering how they can make a difference in their skate scene whether they're a shop owner or just a local skater um believe it or not i've had the most success working with parks and recs departments um i think over the years when i've seen you know skateboarding becoming illegal in some towns or wherever it might be or getting a park built it, it seems that the trend is to mass all the troops, get all the skaters and storm city hall and go into a city hall meeting and let the voices be heard, which is, is a uh, worthy tactic and should be done. But I think the most headway and the most, the easiest way to get things done and, and move in a, in a nice um, fashion is to just meet the people at parks and recs because they have a ton of power and they're easily forgotten about. And, and people forget that they they're the difference makers and that they have, you know, the power of the pen and, and the power of the purse and can, and have budget to build stuff. And if, if they have, you know, a person who's easy to talk to and can provide a point of view of why it's important, why skaters need it, I think you'll get a lot done. So I just encourage anyone listening that if they're looking to improve their skate scene or get a spot or a park built to so just visit your parks and recs department and, uh, and start a conversation and see where it can go. Um, and then for anything else, if, if you want to follow me on Instagram, that's where I'm most busy and happy to say hello to you. It's uh, just at Tyler Colbertson. And, um, and then if, if you're looking for, you know, if you find yourself in a funk and looking for your next move, um, you know, what, what to do and want some answers, uh, some questions answered, just hit up Tony Robbins and, youtube his name or search his name on youtube and listens to his talks i it's funny for me that i used to listen to that guy a lot growing up and getting a ton of value and now lo and behold i work for him and communicate with him on a regular basis which i still pinch myself that i even talk to this guy but let alone collaborate and work with him so if you're looking for that extra edge i think people in your listeners can get a 
ton of value of listening to uh, Tony. Does he have a YouTube channel, I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah. And a ton of his stuff gets ripped and, like, they just have, um, you know, his his a lot of pirated versions of his products and oh, stuff out there. <laughs> and he, he keeps it up because he's like, look, my, my number one mission is to reach people and empower their lives. And if, if that's the way it can get done and have the initial spark, then let it be. So, yeah, just Google Tony Robbins in YouTube and there's – hours and hours of content and uh yeah i think it, it can definitely shift your thinking and put you moving in the right direction on what you want to achieve fuck yeah well thanks tyler this has been a pleasure hell yeah thanks so much anthony i really appreciate you having me on your show and fan of what you do and just really appreciate everything you do for skateboarding it's, it's incredible i love it thank you Last thing before we get out of here, I'd just like to thank everybody out there that supports this show, whether that be, you know, liking something, sharing one of the podcasts, um, all the comments, the feedback, the suggestions, um, all the people that cop something from allineedskate.com. Um, the show has been amazing. I've learned, I've grown a lot, and I've met a lot of fucking cool people. And I'm really hyped that we have this platform for skateboarding, and I hope to keep growing this and doing really cool stuff with it. So, again, thank you guys. Um, Till next time.